So I wonder what you think of when you hear the word peace. Maybe, and this just came to me, maybe in Scotland you think of a sandwich, but that's not the peace that I mean. When you think of the word peace, for me, the first thing that probably jumped to mind was when I was in the, when I was in the car when the kids were young, just wanting a wee bit of peace and quiet, please. I don't know if that comes to you. Give my head peace. Uh, maybe you think of a peaceful place. Maybe you think of a sense of peace if you've taken a decision. Maybe you think of a, a peace treaty between countries. I don't know what it is that comes to mind. There's quite a lot of thoughts there. But when we turn to Scripture, we find that those uses of peace, they don't go anywhere near describing what it truly means. Peace is so crucial in Scripture that it's a word used in many, many of the prophecies about the coming of the, coming of the Messiah. So hundreds of years before Jesus appeared, these prophecies were made. Let me read a few of them to you. In Isaiah 9, here's what we read. Remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus had come. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in Micah chapter 5, we read this again about the coming Messiah. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. And in Zechariah 9, we read this, He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Peace. Let's keep that in mind as we turn to our passage for today. We are continuing in Ephesians, uh, and we're in chapter 2. But like I say, I want you to keep those prophecies in mind as we read this part today. Let me just read chapter 2, verse 11 down to 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Remember those prophecies? For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in self one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Christ himself is our peace. The prophecies were fulfilled. 
Hundreds of years later, the prophecies were fulfilled. Peace had come. Peace was personified. And here, here we're reminded that the central person in all of human history is Jesus Christ. And here we're reminded too that the central event of the central person in all of human history is the cross, Jesus' death, and Jesus' de- resurrection. Jesus Christ, our peace, who brought peace and who proclaims peace to all. Now this peace is a comprehensive term for salvation and a life with God. It, it describes the way life was intended, the way God wants life to be. The Old Testament concept and word of shalom is used to describe this peace, this way of life. And it, it incorporates lots of things. It incorporates a sense of security. It incorporates integrity. It incorporates healthy relationships. It incorporates physical well-being. It incorporates holistic wholeness. It's what God wants for his people. And it's a gift received from him and enjoyed in his presence. In this passage here, Paul shows the impact of this peace on two levels. Uh, vertically, peace between God and man, and, and horizontally, peace between people themselves. And on the horizontal level, Paul's specifically referring to Jesus bringing peace between the Jews on one hand and the Gentiles on the other. And Gentile, as probably most of you know, that was a catch-all term for anyone who wasn't a Jew. And throughout history, hundreds of years, enmity, hostility, bad relations, hatred had grown between these two people groups. The Jews viewed Gentiles as outsiders, uncircumcised heathens, That was the derogatory name that they were called. And here's how their plight is described, just to remind what we read. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Note too that the description, there's a description of the plight of the Jews as well. They weren't squeaky clean. The Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected their bodies and not their hearts. Peace was required for both of these groups, and peace was required between these groups too. And that's what we read that Jesus did. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I wonder, did you notice that the Gentiles didn't suddenly become Jews and the Jews didn't suddenly become Gentiles? Jesus made peace between them by creating in himself one new people group from these two people groups, something completely new. The hostility, the enmity, the hatred of these two groups was taken by Jesus into himself and when he died, it died. Jesus created a whole new people, a whole new race almost, integrated them into one body, it's the terminology that you're using, one, only one body, and called them into the presence of God. That's an incredible description of unity, isn't it? An incredible description of unity. 
this unity, this, this new identity, that's what the, the readers there were urged to remember. At the very start of that passage we read, it says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Don't forget or, or remember. Paul was urging them to think back, urging them to take time to, to let the impact of that new identity really take root in their lives. And that discipline of remembering is important for us too, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, we're also part of that brand new people group that was created. Without taking time to actively reflect on exactly what that means for us, it's very easy to take the incredible privilege that come with that, it's very easy to take that for granted. It's very easy to become perhaps a little complacent. It's very easy to become entitled. And you know, remembering requires choice. You have to stop to remember. It requires time. It requires slowing down. It requires stopping and being still and being with God as opposed to relentlessly doing stuff for God. And you know, when we do take that time, when we do remember, that deep realization of our new identity starts to come into focus, doesn't it? It starts to percolate into our minds. We stop and we think and we wonder. And that leads us into worship. That's, that's the only real response that can happen whenever we think of what Jesus did for us. There's no other response aside from wonder and, and thankfulness and just a sense of amazing grace. But it requires that choice at the start. It requires choosing to remember. It requires taking time. And then as we worship, we're moved to prayer. We're just filled with awe and wonder at the, the sense of God's presence in us. And then we think, well, what about other people round about? It reminds us of our complete dependence upon him. And the unity that this peace creates <clears throat> it is very clear and you know it expands on the plan that we read earlier on in Ephesians in the first chapter do you remember that bit <coughs> here's what it says in, in chapter 1 God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan concerning Christ a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure and this is the plan at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. That's a, reading that's a great way to start the day, let me tell you. Recognizing God's big plan. Recognizing that nothing and no one is going to get in the way of that plan. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that each day we find ourselves in tough circumstances. It doesn't remove that. But it removes the responsibility of trying to fix the world. God's sovereign plan is in force. And in fact, it has been for thousands of years. We've got a bit to play in it in this moment here. Yes, we do have responsibility, but it's God's plan. His plan is all-encompassing. 
And it's all possible only because of what Jesus did. When Jesus died and rose again, he represented all of humanity. And we've probably kind of heard that in our heads loads of times, but just allowing that to settle in us, he represented all of humanity, no exceptions. It's like all of humanity was focused and incorporated into Jesus at that time of his, of his death. So it wasn't just physical agony that he experienced. All of humanity, all of that responsibility, all of that sin. And when Jesus rose again, something new was born. Something new came about. And for all those who choose to believe that, we can be united with Jesus and also united with each other. You look around, we're all stuck together. We're all part of that one body. We all are centered in Jesus, but we all need each other. A picture of body life is incredible. As, as Paul almost humorously talked about, what, what would a body be like if it was only a foot? Thankfully, it's not. There's lots of parts, and we're all part together. And the ramification of that unity is spelled out in the final verses of chapter 2. And as I read them, remember, again, remember the centuries of enmity and hostility and hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember that as we read what resulted from Jesus and the peace he brought. Just the last three verses there. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. No longer foreigners, no longer outsiders, members of God's family. Can, can, you, can you imagine what the readers, the original readers thought about that? Can you imagine? The ones who were formerly kept out of the temple physically, the barrier that's referred to earlier on in that chapter, there's a physical barrier, Gentiles not allowed any further, thank you. The ones who were formerly kept out of the temple now, <laughs> now are the actual temple. Talk about transformation. They are the dwelling place of God by his spirit. The picture of unity described is so, so important. So much so that, that it's written about in so many different ways. New people, together as one body, members of God's family, together we're his house, joined together, a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. How many times can that be conveyed to get the message across? All possible because of Jesus. All built on Jesus. All joined together in Jesus. That was their identity, their brand new identity. And the same is true for us today. As followers of Jesus, our strongest defining identity is and must always be Jesus. Not nationality, not gender, not sexuality, Jesus. Not politics, 
not denomination, not culture, Jesus. And in this way, we must be different to the world at large, where the attitude is to create barriers when people are different from us and so devalue them. There's a clear lesson here, isn't there, that for us as Jesus followers, we must live a different way because in him we're one. In him we're one, we're joined together, we're part of the same body. Self-harm is a tragedy, isn't it? Physically, why on earth would we do that as one body in Christ Jesus together? What would it look like for us to be even more proactive in this regard? How can we value other believers who are different from us? How can we share with them? How can we know them? Racial and cultural differences are obvious errors that we've been challenged about even in this last year to be active around and intentionally forging this type of one body unity will also speak volumes to those who don't yet know Jesus. It's no surprise that when Jesus was praying for all of us as he did Looking ahead hundreds of years, his prayer was for unity. Imagine if, if in Edinburgh we were simply known in the city as followers of Jesus. That, that was it. No other label. Do you know, I often wonder what God thinks about denominations. It seems there's around 200 Protestant denominations. And if, if that tells me anything it tells me that none of us have got it right. So let's remember our strongest defining identity as followers of Jesus is Jesus. As well as being uncompromisingly united in our identity in Jesus, as his followers, as his church, we're called to be conveyors of peace. That peace that we've unpacked a little bit, wherever we are, conveyors of that peace, irrespective of our situation, of our circumstance, wherever it is, the peace that we've been thinking about, the wholeness, looking for justice, physical well-being, healthy relationships, and so on and so on. What would it look like for us to embody that even more? People of peace aren't passive. This peace that we've read about, it's not passive. The peace we've been thinking about, it needs to break things down in order to build things back up again. It breaks down barriers, it breaks down injustices, it breaks down inequality, it breaks down hostility, it breaks down division. All with the aim of restoration. All with the aim of healing relationships. All with the aim of reconciling. All with the aim of peace. There are many systematic problems in our society that we really need to continue to be proactive in and involved with. Racism, poverty, climate change, refugees, drug use, suicide. Terrible, terrible problems that are endemic that yes, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we have to have an involvement with. But you know, there are also individuals in our everyday orbits who need peace. For all of us, there are people who need 
the reality of that peace. So wouldn't it be great for us just to commit to noticing that a little bit more? Noticing the look in someone's eye, noticing the tone in someone's voice, noticing if somebody's not there when they're normally there. I'm praying about it. Believing in the power of prayer that God will help us to notice and actually then give us the right reaction in whatever that situation is, something to say or something to do. I know for me, I know people with relationship problems today. I know them. I know people with addiction problems. I know others coping with grief and loss. I have two friends whose sons in their 20s committed suicide in their last 18 months. I know people who are deep, deep in grief. I know people who are questioning the very purpose of their lives. And I'm sure with just a little bit of thought so do you. And very often it's not a whole lot that needs to be done. It's the noticing of it is the big thing. And then it's actually us coming to God and saying, I don't know what to do, but here I am. Take my time, take whatever it is that I can say, take my resources, take whatever I've got, and please use it to bring some peace in those lives. That's how people's lives are changed. That's how the world has changed, one person at a time. One person at a time. We've all got the opportunity as the dwelling place of God by his spirit to be part of that change. Do you know when I think of peace, there's a few different levels with increasing, increasing intentionality. We can be peace lovers, which hopefully we all are. We can be peacekeepers, which requires a little bit more effort. And we can be peacemakers, which requires that bit more stepping out. So what would it look like individually and collectively to be doing that a little bit more? Wouldn't it be great in a few weeks to have people coming up and, and communicating the reality of just those little things that they have done to make some peace in the lives of others. Let me finish by reading this passage again. For Jesus Christ himself is our peace, who's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing water of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the depth of those words, for the truth and reality of those words. Thank you for the grace behind those words. Thank you for the peace that we've experienced just by reading them and listening to your voice today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that your plan for human life will not be thwarted. Thank you that you've invited us at this particular time in this particular place to be part of that. And may we embrace that responsibility in your power. This week, I pray that each of us would know what it means to be peacemakers. Thank you for your love for us. And thank you for your love for everyone who doesn't yet know you. Your love is exactly the same. Now let us be part of that communication to others who are looking for reason in life, who are looking for a new identity and a sense of belonging and purpose. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.